American F-16 fighter jets have virtually an unlimited range because they have the ability to refuel in flight. At 30,000 feet, traveling at 350 miles per hour, even two F-16s can refuel at once. Aerial refueling allows these aircraft to travel farther and to reach remote targets and to attack deep behind enemy lines. In-flight refueling makes a fighter jet far more effective in its mission. And these planes exemplify a spiritual truth that we find this morning in our text. If you, as a Christian, can learn how to refuel in flight, you too can fly farther and reach further and go longer and attack deeper. You can be more useful to God if you have the ability to refuel in flight. If you have to land and take off, land and take off, land and take off, you'll be limited in your impact. You know, some Christians have a tough time staying in the air for long periods of time. Oh, their faith and their zeal soars on Sunday mornings, but it crashes before they can return to church the following week. Others can make it from ladies' night out to ladies' night out, or maybe from men's retreat to men's retreat, but they too have a limited range. Life can get busy. Life gets so demanding between work and home and kids, there's little time to land and to refuel spiritually. For some of us, the thought of taking a weekend off or even a whole day or even perhaps a Wednesday night seems daunting. We're all traveling at 30,000 feet and at 350 miles per hour. Years ago, I remember when my, when my kids were very little and I was up to my eyeballs in busyness, there was an organization called Promise Keepers that started holding men's rallies across the country. Well, it seemed like a good opportunity to get together with other men and to renew your focus. But I'll never forget, when a friend asked me if I could go with him to attend the meeting here in Atlanta, I had to decline. And I can remember telling him, I can't go to Promise Keepers because i got too many promises to keep. And this is the problem with many of us. I didn't have time to land and refuel. The answer for us is to learn to refuel in flight. As appealing as it sounds, we can't always stop everything that we're doing and connect with God. We need a way to spiritually refuel in the midst of life's demands. And God understands our dilemma. I'm sure there are times when he calls us to make room and to slow down and to seek a quiet place. But he's also called on us to work hard and make a living and care for our families. This is why he has equipped us with the ability to refuel in flight. Even at 30,000 feet and at 350 miles per hour, we can receive from God the help and the power that we need. Jude has been talking about the false teachers in the church and the need for believers to contend earnestly for the faith. But battling is never enough. We also need to be building healthy spiritual lives. You remember the Hebrew patriot Nehemiah. He equipped his workers on the wall with two implements, with a sword and with a shovel. They needed to battle the enemy, no doubt, 
but they also needed to build strong walls. And this should be every Christian's focus, not just battling, but also building up. And this is Jude's goal in these closing verses of his letter. As he puts it, keep yourselves in the love of God. In the midst of the daily grind, we can still maintain the feelings that we had when we were first forgiven. The flush of God's cleansing, the rush of his joy, the hush of his peace. God loves us deeply and has stacked up blessing on top of blessing. He wants you. He even commands you to keep yourself in his love. And yet on the surface, this is a strange statement indeed. Keep yourselves in the love of God. If Jude had written, keep on loving God, it would have sounded more familiar to us, wouldn't it? We're all well acquainted with our biblical responsibility to love God. In Matthew 22, verse 36, a Jewish scholar one day asked Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Our highest priority should be to love God. It's been said when God measures a man, he wraps the tape around his heart. God certainly wants us to love him. But here's the ironic twist. You love God most, most consistently, when you keep yourself in his love. You love God most consistently when you keep yourself in his love. You remember no one had ever done more for the cause of Christ than the Apostle Paul. Paul was a gospel maniac. Acts tells us he turned the world upside down for Jesus. No one ever loved God more than Paul. You remember Paul took beatings and he withstood jail time and shipwrecks and constant misrepresentation by false teachers. He was even deserted by his friends. Yet through it all, Paul's love for Jesus never dimmed. Despite all Paul was forced to endure, his zeal never abated. His passion for God kept burning bright. His love for God never flickered. And Paul explains why in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. He writes, for the love of Christ compels us. In other words, it was God's love for him that made him love God in return. Paul kept himself in the love of God and loved God greatly. You know, love is a powerful motivator. It is amazing what love will cause a person to do. Over the years, my love for my family has caused me to make enormous sacrifices. Did you know, because of my love for my wife, I gave up eating potato chips in bed? All because of love. Out of love for my boys, believe it or not, I gave up season tickets to the Georgia football game so I could afford Little League registration. All because of love. And because of my love for my daughter, my precious daughter, I owned both a dog and, here it comes, a cat. <laughs> love is a powerful motivator. I mean, even in the nuclear age, scientists have never made a bomb more powerful and life-changing than love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 speaks of our relationship with Jesus. We love him 
Why? Because he first loved us. The reason you and I love God at all is because he first loved us. Lloyd Ogilvy writes, our love is always a response to God's love. Our longing to abide in Christ is the echo of his persistent call. God is always the initiator. The Holy Spirit casts the bait. He reels us in. It is his hook in our mouth that creates our allegiance, not vice versa. We love because he first loved us. (laughs) Did you hear the neutron? You know, the neutron that walked up to the concessionaire at the ballpark. The neutron ordered a Diet Coke. When the man handed him his soft drink, the neutron asked him, he said, how much do I owe you? He answered, ah, no charge. Get it. No charge for the neutron. Well, we will lose our charge. We will lose our spark for God. The electricity in our relationship when we lose touch with his love for us. This is why the key to the Christian life is to let God love you. Keep yourself in his love. At times Christians get down, we get discouraged. We think we're the scum of the earth and that God would never love the likes of us. Well, let me encourage you. You are the scum of the earth. And so am I. I too am the scum of the earth. But here's the wonderful thing. God loves us anyway. Write this down in the margin of your Bible. God loves scum. His love is because, his love is called grace because it is a gratuity. Understand that. It's not part of the payment price. His love is not part of the the price that comes with the commodity or for the service. Instead, it is a benevolence from the heart of the giver. You don't do anything to earn or merit God's grace. You were the object of God's love before you were a gleam in your daddy's eye or a thought in your mama's mind. And since you've been born, you've done nothing to add to or take away from God's love for you. His love is unconditional. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. It is his nature to love. Last week I said that God is more than love. And that is certainly true. God is holy and righteous and just and even angry with the wicked. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament tells us that our God is a consuming fire. But none of these characteristics diminish God's love for us. Great among his traits and his attributes. And what draws us most to him is his love for us. One of, the favorite, one of my favorite hymns is entitled The Love of God. It was written by Frederick Lehman, published in 1917. Lehman said his inspiration for the third verse of his hymn came from a message that he once found scrawled on the wall of an insane asylum. It was next to the bed of a patient who discovered God's love just before he died. He penned these words, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. 
the oceans and the skies combined could never contain the love of God for you. Psalm 30 verse 5 tells us, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's been said, God soon turns from his wrath, but he never turns from his love. And so please, please, do the heart of God a favor and let God love you. This is how you refuel in flight. Even while you're in the grinder called daily life, even when you're up to your eyeballs in responsibilities, even if you're not actively loving God at the moment, you can let God love you. The spigot of God's blessing is always open. His love flows down to us in ways of abundance. All that God is waiting on is for us to position ourselves so that we can receive his love. As Jude says, put yourself, keep yourself in the love of God. Think of a football game. The quarterback drops back to pass. He takes the precise numbers of steps backwards. He arcs the ball perfectly. It sails through the air in a tight spiral. It descends to the exact spot mapped out by the coaches. The quarterback has done his job. Now it's up to the receiver to get where he's supposed to be. Success now depends on the wideout being in position to catch the pass. And this is the key to our success. God loves us and he wants to bless us. He's done his job. Now it's up to us to receive his love. On a Roman cross, Jesus took all our sin on his innocent shoulders and he died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sins in full. He nailed those sins to the cross. And if you turn that cross just slightly, you'll see that now Jesus is the X that marks the spot. He's the location on the field of life where the love comes down. That's why if you turn from your sin and depend on Jesus for the life he intends for you, then he'll send down his love. He'll re you'll receive his blessing and his mercy. And once you get in that place, please stay put. Keep yourself in the love of God. Won't you give God some time to work? Why not string together a few weeks or a few months or even a few years of humility and repentance and dependence on God so he can keep up some blessing in your life, so he can truly impact you? My, oh, my, since the cross of Jesus, heaven has been showering blessing. His love is like a rainstorm. Yet too many of us are like folks running to our car, dodging raindrops. We don't want to get too wet. And have to change. So we keep up our umbrella. Rather than looking up into the rain. And allowing God to drench us in his love. Brothers and sisters. The spigot is always open. His love is always flowing. Our receiving God's love is a matter of us remaining. In the proper position of heart. Station your heart. Refuse to move. And a stream of blessing will pour from the Father to his children. As the old country preacher once said, the key to victory is to stay under the spout where the blessings come out. Are you under that spout? Do you keep yourself in the love of God? We refuel in flight when we maintain an attitude that can receive God's love.
hey, put a rock under a water fountain and it won't absorb the very first drop. Not at all. But put a sponge under the same fountain and it'll soak up the water till it overflows. The issue's not the flow of water, but the material's absorbency. And likewise, God is faithful to pour out his love in waves and waves. But it's up to us to soak it in. Our job is to sustain the kind of attitude that sops up the love of God. And Jude tells us how here in verse 20. He gives us three attitudes of the heart that will keep us in God's love. First, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Second, praying in the Holy Spirit. And lastly, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So write it down. Write it down right now in the margin of your Bible. Build up your faith. Open up to God's Spirit. And look up for the return of Jesus. This is how you stay spongy. This is how you stay receptive to the love of God. You build up, you open up, and you look up. Well, first Jude tells us, building ourselves up on our most holy faith. Hey, you can be as busy as necessary, but while you're at it, focus on building up your faith. You know, the Bible tells us that faith is the essence. It's our part in the equation of a relationship with God. Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Romans 14, 23 adds, whatever is not from faith is sin. Faith is the way that we relate to God. Ephesians 2, verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. At a retirement party for basketball great Larry Bird, one of my favorite players, people say I look like Larry Bird, especially when I'm shooting. But at a retirement party for Larry Bird, his former Celtics coach, K.C. Jones, he told a story from Bird's playing days. Once in the waning seconds of a game, he was on the sidelines diagramming a play. Bird shook his head. He blurted out. He said, Coach, just get me the ball and get everybody else out of my way. Well, K.C. Jones, he barked back. He said, I'm the coach on this team, and I'm the one that will call the plays. Then he turned to the other players and he said, get the ball to Larry and get out of his way. (laughs) And this is how you win in the Christian life. You get the ball to Jesus and you get out of his way. You rely on his intervention. You believe in his abilities. You have confidence in his willingness. You set the play up for Jesus. You have some faith and then you get out of the way and you watch him work. Yet I can hear some of you saying, but Pastor Sandy, that's great, but my faith is so weak. Well, that's why Jude tells us to build up our faith. Are you feeding your faith? Are you adding some substance and some muscle to your faith? Faith is like a muscle. If you feed it and exercise it, then it'll grow. If if you don't, if you don't do anything to feed it and build it up, it'll wither and it'll withdraw and it'll... It'll shrink. Just look at them. Shrunk. Paul tells us in Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When the great evangelist D.L. Moody, he read this verse for the first time, it changed his life. 
He recounts the moment. He said, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not seem to come. One day I read Romans 10 verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had up to this time closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study. And faith has been growing ever since. Even the busiest person, even in the busiest life, a person can find time for their Bible on the bus, on your lunch hour, in between classes. Read it. Listen to it. There's an app for that. Chinese Christians, they have a saying, no Bible, no breakfast. Before they start their day and eat their Wheaties, they feed on the Wheaties of God's Word. You stay in God's love by staying in God's Word. You build up your faith. But then Jude gives us another way to keep ourselves in the love of God. In verse 20, Jude tells us, praying in the Holy Spirit. And here's another must for us. You refuel in flight by opening up to the help of the Holy Spirit. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised his disciples that he would send to them another comforter. In the Greek language, two words get translated another. It can mean another of a different type or another of the same type. In this instance, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another comforter of the same type. The disciples had just spent three years with Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit is going to pick up where Jesus left off. And they can expect from him the same agenda, the same love, the same nature. It was now up to the Holy Spirit, now up to the disciples to learn to trust and follow the Holy Spirit just as they had been called to follow Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us that as Christians, we need to be in the Spirit. We need to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and worship in the Spirit and rejoice in the Spirit and hear pray in the Spirit. This is not about adding more or doing more or adding more to our schedule. It's about how we do what we do. As you live, are you leaning into the Holy Spirit in everything you do? This is living in the Spirit. Are you leaning into the Holy Spirit when you pray? Do you look for the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts? Burden your heart with his concerns. Are you open to the Spirit's help when you pray? If he prompted you to praise God the Father with an unknown tongue, would you be open? Would you obey? Romans 8 tells us God's Spirit intercedes when we don't know how to pray as we ought. Are we open to his inspiration? Once there was a father, he was having problems with the turn signals in his automobile. His teenage son was there with him, and so he asked the boy to help him out. Dad said, son, I want you to get behind the car, and if the blinkers come on, shout yes, and if they don't come on, shout no. Simple enough. Well, when it came time for the boy to respond, he, he shouted, no, yes, no, yes. No, yes, no, yes, no. You get it, you get it. You know, sometimes kids and dads have communication problems, don't they? And this happens in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thus, we need the Holy Spirit to intercede for us, to help us. 
It's the Spirit who helps us discern God's yes and God's no. And then the final way to keep yourself in the love of God is found in verse 21. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Along this journey through life, we refuel in flight by looking forward to our destination. Looking up. Never forget, one day, we're going to see Jesus face to face. Here is not home. Our eternal home is with Jesus. Did you hear about the new business startup? A friend of the owner sent flowers to congratulate the new outlet on its grand opening. But when the flowers arrived, it came with a note. It read, rest in peace. Well, the man who sent the flowers was upset. He called the florist to complain about the mix-up. The lady replied, said, sir, I'm sorry about the mistake, but rather than get angry, why don't you just enjoy a good laugh? Because somewhere there's a funeral going on that just received flowers attached with a note. Congratulations on your new location. One day we're all going to get a new location. You know that, don't you? And you'll spend far more time there than you ever spent here. This world is just a pit stop compared to the permanency of heaven. If you've ever been on a long journey, you know no matter how enjoyable the trip, it's always good to get back to the folks you love. That's why we'll keep ourselves in the love of God when we realize that we are headed home to see Jesus. And then verse 22 tells us, On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Here Jude lays out two types of evangelism. There are people who hear about the love of Jesus and immediately follow him. They're drawn to Jesus by his love. It's Romans 2 verse 4. Do you not despise despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? I mean, some folks are drawn to Christ by the sweet smell of his love, whereas others run to him to escape the sulfur smell of hell. Famous preacher G. Campbell Morgan once wrote, I have seen a far larger number surrendered to Christ when I've been preaching on the terrible results of neglecting salvation than when dwelling on any other theme. Some folks are wooed by God's love, but other people need to have the hell scared out of them. That's how they come to Christ. Reminds me of the New York cab driver and the pastor. They both died. They went to heaven at the same time. They were out there in heaven's lobby when the angel walked in. He took the cab driver on this amazing tour of heaven. Well, the pastor had to wait, and he was more than a little ticked off. I mean, why did he have to wait while a cab driver got all this special attention? Finally, the angel came back in to usher him in. And the pastor couldn't help it. He just had to ask. He said, I've loved people all these years. I faithfully preached to them the word of God week after week. Why was this cab driver given special attention? And that's when the angel replied, Pastor, when you preach, people listen. But when that New York cabbie drove, people prayed. (laughs) And that's the idea here. 
There are people so bogged down in sin that it takes some good old-fashioned fear to shake them up and to wake them up. Well, Jude closes his letter in verse 24 with a song of praise, with, with a doxology. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Jude is telling us how to refuel in flight. Build up your faith. Open up to the Holy Spirit. Look up to Jesus. Shake up the people around you. Now he tells us how to stand up and be a strong, confident Christian. Here's a wonderful refrain. It's worth an examination. It begins, now to him who is able. Now, one of the most fascinating studies you'll conduct in your Bible is to go through the Bible and to look for all the places where it talks about what God is able to do. Daniel 3, verse 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told the king that God is able to deliver them from the fiery furnace. God is able. Matthew 3, verse 9, John the Baptist said that God is able to make children of Abraham out of these stones. Romans 4, verse 21, God is able to perform what he has promised. Ephesians 3, verse 20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, if we give to God, he is able to bless us in the same proportion in which we give. Hebrews 2 verse 18, God is able to help us when we're tempted. Hallelujah. And then Hebrews 7 verse 25, God is able to save to the uttermost those who come and trust in Jesus. See, the story of the Bible is that God is able. God is able. And Jude adds to this list of marvelous things that God is able to accomplish. Verse 24, God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. As a pastor, I see people come to Jesus. They are so fragile. I see people who are hanging on by a thread. They come in desperation and they weep and they ask for his forgiveness. Yes, they leave happier. They're, they got a smile on their face. Yes, there may be a bounce to their step. There may be an initial song in their heart. Yet you know they're going home to the very same problems they left behind when they came to church that morning. You know the same burdens that got them searching still exist. You know tomorrow they'll have to face the same temptations that brought them here today. Is there any hope for a new believer, just a babe in the Lord? Will they still be walking with Jesus next week or the week after? Or will they get sucked back into the web of sin? The temptations are so great. Why do we have any confidence at all that you and I, for that matter, will still be living for Jesus next week or the week after? or the following years and decades to come. It is because of one reason. God is able to keep us from stumbling. That's our hope. That's our only hope. God is able to keep us from stumbling. If we hold on to Jesus, 
And the issue is not so much you loving God as it is keeping yourself in His love. If you do that, you'll make it through the tough spots. You'll make it down the rocky roads. You'll survive the slip-ups and the stumbles, and you'll arrive at home with God. As Jude says, God is able to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. I know I'm not able. I'm pretty sure you're not able. But God is able. And my faith is in His abilities, not my own. God is able. And how do we know? Well, Jude has been teaching us how to refuel in flight. He's taught us to build up our faith and to open up to the Spirit and to look up to Jesus and to shake up the people around you and to stand up as a confident Christian for nobody stacks up to our Lord Jesus in greatness and in glory. For Jude closes his letter to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You remember Jude was Jesus' half-brother. He too was Mary's boy. He was Joseph's son. These two boys, Jude and Jesus, they played in the sandbox together. But there, but now, there is no doubt in Jude's mind that there is not a vast difference between him and his brother. More than his sibling, Jesus was Jude's God and Savior who alone is wise. And to him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. In a world where truth is based on how we feel at the moment, where everything is arbitrary, where people self-identify as whatever they please, in a world that rejects any kind of objective truth, let every man who disagrees with Jesus be a fool, for he alone is wise. The wisdom of Jesus eclipses the wisdom of men. Let Jesus alone be famous. Give him all the glory. Give him the majesty. Make everyone else take a back seat. Bow before the master. His hands hold all dominion and power. All galaxies, known and unknown, are his domain. His strength extends from nuclear energy to weapons of war, to the engineering of miracles, to the power of love. All dominion and power belongs to him. And not only is all this true of Jesus in the halls of heaven, his domain reaches into the here and now. Today belongs to Jesus just as much as forever. Marvel at him. Bow before him. Trust in him. And learn to refuel in flight because he wants you living for him 24-7. He wants you going the distance for him. He is able to keep you from stumbling. Build up your faith, my friend. Open up to the Holy Spirit. Look up to His coming. Shake up the people around you. Stand up as a confident Christian and realize, and realize that nobody, I mean nobody, stacks up to our living Lord Jesus.